Thank you for making it into rejoice. Always, re- not rejoice, Lord. Always rejoicing. Always rejoicing. And I'm glad that you're in here. Did, does anyone need a handout? You did not receive one. Anybody not receive a handout? Are, are we good? Everybody's got it? All right, very good. Make sure to take notes. There'll be a test next week. Just kidding. There will not. There will not. There will not. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 is where we're going to be. And uh, this is a, uh, a verse-by-verse study through the book of Philippians. Of course, we're not going to be able to get all of it in six weeks. Uh, that, that, that's, that's just not possible. There's so much in here. So we'll pull some passages out every once in a while. And as we get into the material, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Let's read responsively. If you'd let me read the odd verses out loud by myself, or odd numbered verses, rather. No, they're not odd. They're just odd numbered. And, uh, and you read the even numbered verses uh, out loud with me, all right? I'll read the odd numbered verses by myself, and you read the, the even. So you read 2 and 4, I'll read 1, 3, and 5. Philippians chapter 1, are we there? Anyone else need the paper? Brother uh, Ehrlich's got him. Anyone else need him? We're good? Awesome. Thank you guys who helped me with that earlier. I appreciate that. Here we go. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And here's what the Bible says. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Verse 2, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Thank you, and you may be seated. A rejoicing Christian is one of God's best advertisements, as we said last week. Every human being desires to be happy, but many seek that happiness apart from God. Someone put it this way, joy is like your shadow. Run after it, and you'll never catch it. But keep your face to the sun, S-O-N, and it will be sure to follow you. I'd like you to do this brief exercise, if you can, for a minute. You got your paper, right? Uh, uh, underneath, the introdu- or underneath the picture there, I should say intro or introduction, has about three or four lines. Uh, just for the next 30, 60 seconds, would you write down in those lines three or four things in life wherein you find joy? Now, this is not a trick. This is not... Uh, you shouldn't find joy in those. That's not, that's not, that's not what this is about. Um, and I didn't ask you for the source of joy, just some things in your life or when you think about them or, or you're with them or whatever the case might be, they bring you joy. Just three or four things. Jot them down very quickly, and we'll go around the room here. And, of course, we can't go to everybody, so if I don't pick you, I'm sorry. Uh, but we'll go around here and just get a couple uh, ideas here of, of what, we, what, what you wrote down about things and where you find joy in life, all right? A couple things here. I, I see you writing feverishly. I see it. I see the smoke coming out of the ears. The wheels are turning. You said, I didn't know I was going to be in school, Brother Chris. Sorry. All right, we got a couple down. All right, who wants to volunteer just one? Oh, man, right here, right here. Sorry, ladies first, brother. Go ahead. Oh, wow. Oh, on three. One, two, three. Oh, that was so nice. Oh. <laughs> going out to you find joy in spending time with your loved one that's great and that, man that brings so much joy how many wrote down along those lines how many wrote down uh, spouse or family anybody write that, write that down I wrote that down and uh, yeah we, we find so much joy in, in our family whether it be your spouse whether it be your children man there's just joy there it's wonderful alright who else go ahead brother the Holy Spirit boy he can bring us joy can't he Oh, he certainly can. 
And uh, the things in the world don't always bring us joy, Brother Alex, but the Holy Spirit of God, oh, he, he always helps us there. Very good, very good. All right, who else? Who else? Yes, Mrs. Emdor. Ah, nature, right? And God's magnificence and what he did, it just helps you, doesn't it? Makes you think about the Lord. I think about the song. Uh, then sings my soul, my say, how great thou art, right? Oh, wonderful. Very good, very good. That brings you joy. What else? What else? A couple more. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Food, did you say food? Hey, this is a Baptist church, that's all right. That's good, that's good. Hey, there's nothing like that, that T-bone steak. That brings me joy, brother, I'm telling you right now. And uh, that's good, that's good. Very good, very good. Yes, Mr. Pastrana. Oh, man. I didn't mean for you to preach at us already, but that's good, that's good. Being a blessing to others. Oh, that does bring joy, doesn't it? Oh, man, uh, when, you, when you get to help somebody, God, yeah, that's, that's wonderful. Very good, very good. A couple more, a couple more. Yes, Mrs. Tam? Church! I wrote down church. Just to, no, just kidding. <laughs> I wrote down church too. Man, I love coming to church, Brother Alex. I love being in church, man. I love walking in the doors, and I love hearing Brother Russell, it's church time, you know, I'm ready to go. I love it. I love it. Uh, I love standing on the platform and, and during the song service, and, and if, if you watch the guys on the platform, I'm not telling you to do that, but if you ever glance at us, uh, I, I like to look at the crowd every once in a while and, and uh, see who wasn't there. No, just kidding. I, I, like, I like to look around, and man, I love watching people sing, and, and I love when Brother Alice puts his hand up because, man, a song is doing something in his heart. I love, I love church. Man, it brings me joy. I wrote that down too. What else? What else? What else? Maybe, maybe two more. We got to go. Christian music, man, brings joy. Helps your heart. Very good. Very good. What else? What else? Yes, ma'am. Hey, that's good. Adventures or vacation. All right, joyful times. Uh, maybe your phone. Uh, how many use Google Photos? And anybody use Google, Google Photos? Just a couple of you. Um, uh, it probably does on other apps as well. Uh, um, but, but for mine, it'll come up and say, hey, here, here are some memories for whatever. And it would be when I was with my family somewhere. Man, that just brings joy. It's joy. I wrote down family, job. Maybe your job brings you joy. My job brings me joy. I love where I work. It's the best. I work with the best people. I do. I mean, people I work with, you pray for them. I'm praying they get saved. But, you know, it's a great place. No, just kidding. And I love, I enjoy my, it brings me joy. But let me ask you this. Thinking about all those things, you're looking at what you wrote down. Let's think about the job for a second. Maybe you wrote down your job. Man, I love my job. It's great. I, find, I go there and I find fulfillment. I find joy. What if you lose that job? Many of you say, been down that road before, huh? Uh, you wrote down family. What if you lose that family? Now, I'm not here to make us sad, and that's not my point. What I'm saying is, while those things bring us joy, and they are supposed to bring us joy, they can't be the ultimate source of our joy. We may not always have those. I, I think about a family years ago. There was a preacher uh, who, who came here for our, uh, our bus conference, Dr. Jeff Fugit from Lexington, Kentucky. And he came and he told us a story uh, about, a, about his family, uh, a family, sorry, in his church. I think the wife was working as a secretary or something. They were very involved in the church and they were taking a vacation. They're all packed up in a minivan, got into an accident with a semi on the highway. Uh, they were all in the hospital. Many of them, the dad and the boys all passed away. And, and the mother and I think one or two of the daughters were alive, but they were comatose. They, they, they didn't even know that when they woke up, someone's going to have to tell them, hey, your husband is no longer here. And so, of course, that church sorrowed with them and helped them through that. And, and, and I, I called the church, I don't know, a couple of years ago. for I can't remember what the reason was, but I had some business with them. So I called them to, to work something out. And, and I said, thank you so much. What was your name? And they gave me the name. 
And I thought, oh, I think that's the family. I said, I'm sorry, I have to ask you this. Was it your family that went through that tragedy? I said, yes, sir, it was. But, but, but the whole conversation she was helping me, I could hear the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord coming out of that young lady's voice. I thought, man, she lost her dad, her brother's a terrible accident. I think she is, has some issues as well. But she can still have the joy of the Lord. What about one of those things that, uh, that you get joy from are not there anymore? Uh, what if that family that you find so much joy in ends up not being what it should be? Maybe betrayal happens in your life uh, or disappointment. Uh, what, what if you're a Raider fan? You haven't sniffed the Super Bowl in almost 20 years. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. I mean, it's true, but just kidding. <laughs> if all these wells of joy dry up, what then? What then? We must learn now that true, deep joy is a byproduct of our relationship with God. All these other things, they help and they supplement our joy. But my friends, those things are, are here today and sometimes they're gone tomorrow. But we serve a God who's always there for us. And we can find true, deep joy in our relationship with God. It, 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 that, that, that joy is a byproduct of our relationship with Him. For example, everybody needs a certain amount of money to survive in life. Uh, it would be nice if we could just go to our mailbox each morning and you open it and there's $1,000. That would be nice, right? And we could figure out a way to live off of that, couldn't we? I think we could, but that's not the way it works. The money we receive is a byproduct of the work that we put in that week, right? Or that month, however often you get paid. It, it's a byproduct. It's what you get for what you've put in. And we can spend our lives wishing we were happy or hoping that something fantastic could happen to us that would bring us joy. But in reality, joy comes as a result of our obedience to the one who made us. The psalmist said this, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is the fullness of joy. Not just joy. Not just a lot of joy. The fullness of joy. What the psalmist is saying is, when I'm in your presence with you and I'm close to you, that's the highest point of joy I could ever have in my life. The fullness of joy when we're with our Savior. So that begs the question, uh, am I close enough to God to experience the joy of his presence in my life? Am I walking at his right hand and enjoying the fellowship of his company? Take your Bibles, John chapter 15. John chapter 15. I want you to see something here in this gospel. John chapter 15, it might be in your notes. I don't know if it is. That's why I asked you to turn there. John 15, we'll look at verses 9 through 11. God desires that we have joy, but we're going to notice how he couples that joy with obedience. John 15, 9, here's what it says. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Verse 10, if ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 11. And we know 11 and 12, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full, full joy. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. These things have I spoken unto you, verse 11, that my joy might remain in you, that your joy might be full. He says, I've spoken to you these things to the end for the purpose that you can have full joy in your life. So what things did he tell us bring us that full joy? Well, he just told us in the previous verse, if you keep my commandments. He just said, I'm telling you to keep my commandments because the end of that, if you obey me and do what's right, the end of that is you get that fullness of joy. You can only get by obeying the Lord. Our level of joy is in direct proportion to our obedience to God. Our level of joy will be in direct proportion to our obedience to our God. Now, we, we, we can put on 
and we can be happy when, uh, when we get the raise and we can, we can be happy when this happens, but, but true, true joy is in direct proportion to our obedience to our God. In this study of Philippians, we'll learn some of the principles on how we can stay obedient and rejoicing. This church at Philippi was not only experiencing the joyful Christian life, but also they brought joy to others. In his greeting, which is what we're going to study tonight, Paul skips the formalities and gets right to some instruction that will enable these believers to be always rejoicing. And so tonight, uh, in, in, our, in our topic, uh, an instructional greeting is the, is the title of our lesson tonight. There are four objectives for our lesson, and we'll pray and then get into it. Number one, to show the order that God has established within the local church that brings God's power and blessing. Number two, to help us understand that God has given us more than we deserve, and in return, we ought to be joyfully grateful. Number three, to encourage us to live the kind of life that brings rejoicing to others. Not only do I want to have joy, but I want to live a life that can be a blessing and a help, as Mr. Strong said, to others in the church. Verse four, uh, not verse four, number four, uh, to develop a desire for Christian fellowship and partnership within the local church, recognizing that it is his, this institution God has given us to carry out his work. So tonight we're going to look uh, in always rejoicing at an instructional greeting in these first five verses. Let's pray and we'll get into it this evening. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful crowd who's here tonight. God, before we dismissed, I I looked across and just saw a full auditorium. What an incredible blessing, Lord. I pray you'd bless the continued discipleship program. Thank you for the many uh, who are ready, God, to take the next step in their Christian life and get grounded in the Word of God. I pray you bless the disciples and the mentors. And Brother Dostra, as he leads that group up uh, in the continued discipleship program. I pray for our pastor, the other end of the building, doing passionate parenting. Bless that, Lord. I pray those principles from the Bible would be a help to the families in our church as they rear young people to serve you. Bless us in here, God. Bless these, your dear people, as they listen. Help me be a blessing uh, to these, your people. We love you in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Here we go. Number one, write some things down if you would. Number one, we're going to look at a reminder of church order. We're in Philippians, right? Let's go back to Philippians. Philippians chapter one, and we'll look through these first five verses tonight. In our study, a reminder of church order. The local church is God's institution to carry out the work of the Great Commission in this age. It's the church's responsibility, which means, guess what? It's your and my responsibility. To this institution, God promises his power, his protection, and his provision. Edward uh, Hiscox in the New Directory for Baptist Churches states the following about the local church. It's a little bit of a long read, but listen to it. It's so powerful. Here's what he said. The Christian church is the only divinely organized society of men. It was instituted for a purpose by Christ who gave gave to it laws and an economy of methods and order by which to accomplish its sacred mission and who still retains headship and kingship over it. A church is the quote-unquote society of Jesus. Its chief authority is given by Christ alone. The state cannot bestow it, nor can legislatures or courts of civil jurisdiction or princes or parliaments either bestow or annul the charter by right of which the churches of Christ exist and act. Nor can authority emanate from any ecclesiastical source since all ecclesiastical orders emanate from and grow out of the churches and are created by them. Popes, patriarchs, bishops, priests, synods, assemblies, conventions, conferences, supposing they were scriptural, do not make churches but are made by them. Cannot invest uh, churches with authority since they possess no antecedent authority in the premises but are invested by the churches directly or indirectly with all the authority they claim to possess. All rightful authority, therefore, is conferred by Christ, the King in Zion. He builds them. Upon this rock, I will build my church. He commissions them. Go ye therefore, teach all nations. He's personally ever with them. Lo, 
I am with you always, even to the end of the world. What he does not give is not possessed. What he does not sanction is not legitimate. What he does not bestow is a sacred, I'm sorry, what he does bestow is a sacred trust to be guarded and used for his purpose and praise. This then is the source and only authoritative source of the church's right of rule. It can assume none and derive none from any other source. God doesn't give people to build churches. He gives churches to build people. God can build the church without you or me. And he will. We're not a gift to him. <laughs> We're not. Uh, <clears throat> he, he gives us spiritual gifts to use among the body, but what I'm saying is uh, God didn't win the jackpot when I joined Central Valley Baptist Church. It's not the way it works. Uh, but we need, God doesn't need us, but we need the local church to build our lives. Pastor preached about it Sunday night with Thomas. He's talking about how important his presence is, and, and, and that happens when we're in church. Uh, an evangelist recounted a story that I think can help illustrate. This is years ago in a revival meeting, the evangelist recounts. The pastor and I visited a family in the suburbs of Minneapolis, Minnesota. A middle-aged man met us at the door, and upon inquiring about his relationship with the Lord, he informed us he had been saved as a teenager. His brother-in-law had led him to Christ. However, he had been told that the church was not important. And so for over 30 years, he had not bothered to attend a church of any kind. After a short time, he invited us inside and began to share the story of his sorrow-filled life. He was an alcoholic. At the time, he was going through a recovery program. His wife was lying on the couch on the verge of her third nervous breakdown. He took us to the patio window and showed us the spot in the backyard where his oldest son had been killed by a neighbor who had shot him from an upstairs window while he played. He showed us pictures of, on the mantle of another son who was in a, in, in a hospital coming down from an overdose of drugs and a picture of a third son who was in the county jail for murder. As he relayed each tragic event, a little 10-year-old girl stood by his side with her arms around her daddy's waist. As he introduced us to this little girl, he said, Pastor, we were wondering what we could do to help this one turn out right. As the pastor tried to help him, the evangelist thought, if only someone would have told him about a local church. No, it wouldn't have solved all of his problems or prevented trouble from coming to his life, but it would have provided a place where people would have prayed for him during these trials, would have received strength from God's word to face these things. God's word still says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as a matter of some is, but so much the what? More. As we, we don't need less, my friends. We don't need less, church. We don't need less. We need more. Why? As we see the day approaching. So we see, uh, Paul shows us three groups of people here in this opening verse that make the local church what God wants it to be. So number one, a reminder of church order. What do we see here? Letter A, the servants of God. Look at the verse one. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. Over and over, Paul in his letters refers to himself and others who worked with him as merely servants of Jesus. We might tend to chalk that up to, oh, Paul's just being bashful. He's just being modest. And while he was being uh, humble, in reality, there is no higher calling on earth than to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I said, there is no higher calling on this planet than to serve the Lord. And I don't necessarily mean as a preacher. I, I mean, I think that's important, obviously, but that, that, that's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, no matter what it is, uh, if you're an electrician, God did not leave you here to be an electrician. He left you here to serve him. And being an electrician is, is God's means for you to provide for your family and give to the church and support missions. But God didn't leave you here to do that. God left you here to serve him. And serving God is the highest calling, no matter what avenue he has you serving. And that, that is where it's at. That's where the joy is when you're serving the Lord. In an age when so many want the church to entertain them or meet their needs, uh, what tremendous joy is found in serving others. 
I like that chorus. There is joy, joy, joy in what? Serving Jesus, joy that throbs within my heart. Every moment, every hour, as I rest upon his power, there is joy, joy, joy that never shall depart. Why? Why why won't it depart? Because we're serving God. It brings so much joy. This was the purpose of the Savior as he came to earth. What does the Bible say? Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but what? To minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Culture today emphasizes self-esteem, self-image, self-confidence. Culture says to have the joy you want, you need to have others serve and give to you. You got to make it to the top. You got to make it to where you're above everybody else. That's when you find the joy. Uh, You need more. You need better. You need bigger. And that's where the joy is found. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says even Christ pleased not himself. He wasn't after what he could do for himself to make himself happy. No. Joy is not found in getting something out of church even. Joy is found in giving to church in service for the Lord. You know, the most joyful one is not the one who comes in uh, 30 seconds before church starts, sits down with their arms crossed and a frown on their face, and then leaves right when church is done. That's not, I'm not talking talking about if your schedule makes that. That's not what I'm talking about. Well, your schedule doesn't make this, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, That's not the joyful person. You know what the joyful person is? The person who earlier Wednesday is vacuuming this and whistling a tune. That's a joyful person. The joyful person is the one who's driving that church bus with 30 screaming kids thinking about the blood of Jesus being deep and wide in that fountain. That's the one who's got the joy. The one who's got the joy is the one working in the nursery. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe. But joy when you serve the Lord. Acts 20. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it's more blessed to give then to receive Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave where thou goest. The joy of the Christian life comes in service rather than selfishness. See, selfishness is such a lie. Selfishness makes us think, well, if I can get and I can have, I will have joy. But that's been the lie from the very beginning. That's been Satan's ploy the entire time. Eve, you're missing out. If you would just get this for yourself, oh man, everything would be better. But she found out the hard truth that that's not the case. When we obey God, that's when things are right. And the joy of the Christian life comes in service rather than selfishness. So we see, letter A, we see the servants of God in verse 1. Then we see the saints of God. Look at the verse. The servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi. Paul addresses all of these who are in Christ Jesus as saints. In the Roman Catholic Church, a select few are designated as saints. And that's not usually until years after they die. But in the Bible, the moment we trust Christ, we're declared saints of God. So you are a saint. I'll call you Saint Thomas. (laughs) It's the truth. Hey, that's what the Bible says. We're saints, my friends. As Paul greets the church at Philippi, he addresses it to all the saints. Thank God that the ground is level at the cross. Whosoever will may come. Oh, how wonderful that is. Once saved, one is not more important than another. We're all saints in Christ Jesus. If we're not careful, we can get the idea that some people are more important in church because they give more, or they're up front more, or they can sing, or they can do that. But Paul warns against those comparisons. He says this, For we dare not make ourselves of the number, or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves, comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord." For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. You will no doubt be surprised in heaven at who is exalted and rewarded for the faithful service. I think about, I think about the preacher 
who is in the backwoods of a church of 25 because the town only has 40. <laughs> but he faithfully preaches the word of God at Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, or Thursday. And, 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 and they go out sowing and, and they try to witness and they give to missions and, and no one will ever know his name. He's never going to be in the sword of the Lord. He's never going to be in the Baptist vision uh, periodical. Oh, but he was faithful. And when he gets to heaven because he served God, he'll be rewarded. Matthew 23, 12, Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. He that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Every saint is saved to serve. I love that song. Give them the best you can, not for reward, not for the praise of man, but for the Lord. You see the servants of God. You see the, the saints of God. Uh, let us see. The selected of God. Look at verse 1 again. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, the selected of God. God has designated leaders within the local church. And Paul mentions the two offices of the local church in this passage. The pastors, and they're called bishops here, uh, and deacons. All saints are to serve, but these, the pastors and deacons, are designated to serve as leaders in that service. There are strict qualifications. 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, we'll look at them now. But God has given these men a great responsibility for which they will be accountable to God at the judgment. Be very careful before you start uh, thinking critically about a spiritual leader. Be very careful. They tread lightly with what they do because they understand one day they will stand before Almighty God for the decisions that they made for the spiritual flock God has given them. Oh, it's a heavy responsibility our pastor has. Acts 20, 28 says this, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, <coughs> excuse me, of which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which you have purchased with his own blood. What is he saying there? You ever given something to someone? Maybe when you were younger, maybe when you were a kid, maybe you just bought something. Maybe you saved up money. You saved up your $5 and you bought it. You went to the store. Went to Toys R Us. How many remember Toys R Us? Remember that place? Oh, broken heart. <laughs> I used to love that place. You go to Toys R Us and you just walk in. It's like, oh, man, you're in heaven. And you get that toy and, and, uh, and maybe you let your friend borrow it. And you said, hey, I'm going to give this to you. Got to take care of this. I spent all my money. Five bucks. I spent all my money on this. Got to take care of it. Why? It was important to you. You gave a lot for that, and you gave all you had for that. It's important. I say, that's what this verse is saying about the church to our God. It's important. He entrusts it to, the, to, to, to these pastors, and it says, which he purchased with his own blood. I paid a lot of money for, not money, but I paid a high price for this, my son's blood. And so we must maybe be mindful of that as we think about our pastor. As members of the church, we should be praying daily for those in leadership and carefully heed their instruction and guidance, how sad it is that many pay no attention to the counsel and preaching of their pastor that God has given to them. May I say, that God has given to them, that God has given to them. Our pastor is a gift to us. Oh, he's a gift. No wonder God cannot bless our lives at times if, if we're living in direct violation of God's commands in the book of Hebrews. Remember them which have the rule over you who have spoken unto you the word of God, that's your pastor, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Obey them that have the rule over you. What does that word mean? Hmm. Pretty simple. <laughs> and submit yourselves. In case you weren't sure what it meant, let me remind you, he says, obey them and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account. They may do it with joy and not with grief. That's unprofitable for you. Let that sink in for a second. God's, 
our pastor and others uh, are going to give an account for what they did here and even for you. And then we do it with joy and not with grief. That's unprofitable for you. Dr. John R. Rice tells a story. Boy, uh, that's not the story, but just look at the time. John R. Rice tells a story of being invited to preach a revival meeting for a godly pastor. Anybody in this room get to hear John R. Rice live? Anybody? Just you, Brother Wilkins? I've only heard recordings. That's amazing. That's wonderful. But he, he raised, Dr. John R. Rice tells a story of being invited to preach at a revival meeting for a godly pastor. For several months, the pastor and Dr. Rice corresponded about a date that would work out for these meetings in both of their schedules. Finally, a week was agreed upon, and the next Sunday at the close of the service, the pastor announced the date of the meetings to his church people. As he did so, one of the deacons in the church stood up to his feet, began walking down the center aisle. He pointed his finger at the pastor and said, Over my dead body will have Rice preach in this church. The pastor was shocked. Uh, there was opposition and not really knowing what to do or say. He just prayed and closed the service. That's the awkward situation. Months passed and the pastor said nothing more to the congregation about the revival meeting. But behind the scenes, planned the meetings as normal. He never told Dr. Rice about that incident. The meetings were to start on Monday night. Dr. Rice told how he arrived at the church that morning at about 11 o'clock. When he got to the church, he was surprised to find every parking space filled. The church crammed to overflowing. He parked about two blocks away, entered the front door only to find people standing in the lobby, looking through some glass windows into the packed auditorium. It was the funeral service of that deacon. As Dr. Rice looked down toward the front of the church, he saw a huge white banner stretched from one side of the platform to the other with large letters printed on it, which read, Welcome, Dr. John R. Rice. Underneath that banner was a casket, and the deacon's head rested on the pillow in that coffin directly under the word Rice on the banner. His words had become the prophetic in his own mouth. Over my dead body will have rice in this church. How we need to pray for, respect, honor, and follow the leadership God has placed in our local church. 1 Thessalonians 5 says this, We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord, that's our pastor, and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. What does it mean you esteem, put a value on? See them very highly in love. Oh, that's so very important. A reminder of church order. We see servants, we see saints, we see the selected. May I say number two, and I'm going to have to finish in, in about five minutes here. Number two, we see the results of consistent obedience. The reminder of church order, we see the results of consistent obedience. We said, we said earlier that joy comes as a result of our obedience to God. A child who disobeys his parents is not going to be happy as he spends two weeks grounded from his friends. An athlete who disobeys the coach is not going to be happy as he warms that bench all game because he wouldn't listen to the coach. Uh, the student who disobeys his teacher in class, Mrs. Perry shouts an amen, <laughs> is not going to be happy with the report card. May I say the Christian who lives in disobedience is not going to be happy under the chastening of his heavenly father. Proverbs 28 says this, happy is the man that feareth always. That seems like an oxymoron. How can you be happy if you're walking around in fear? But we understand the fear here is not, 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 not that, that type of fear, but understanding God is watching always. I better act right. Like, 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 when, like when you're playing as a, as, a, as a kid and you feel this presence behind you and you realize that your mom or dad is wa or they're watching what you're doing, all of a sudden you play a little bit differently, don't you, Thomas? <laughs> That toy you were going to throw at your brother or sister, ah, I wasn't going to throw that toy, really. 
Why? Because you know someone's watching. May I say he's always watching. He's always watching. But, but when, we live, when we live that way, it helps us to be happy because we end up doing what's right. Dr. John Getch related excuse me, another story I, can be, I think can be a help here. He said, late one Friday night, uh, actually it was very early on Saturday morning, uh, he says, my son John and his family arrived at our home. As an evangelist, he had driven all through the previous night and the following day to get to their next meeting. Decided to crash at our house for a few hours, he said, before heading home to their destination, or heading on to their destination. At the time, they had two girls, Katie and Annie, who were up at the crack of dawn as usual. They slept in the car while traveling, ready to go as soon as the sun came up. Their mom had been up for an hour or so, had given them baths, put clean clothes on them, and told them to play so that dad could sleep. At about 8 a.m., Dr. Getch says, I decided to wash my car, as I, too, had a revival meeting to drive to later that day. So I got the bucket, I got the hose, I got the soap, headed for the door with some old towels in my hand. Katie, who was about four at the time, began to ask all kinds of questions, most of which started with that wonderful word, why? Annie, her two-year-old sister, was right behind her as we headed out the door. They wanted to help. I told them, wait till I got the car washed, and then they could help me dry it off with towels. I thought that would be uh, an attractive job to them since they were clean and had nice, pretty dresses on. I didn't want to get them dirty. He says, as I washed my car, the water began to build up to about half an inch on the driveway, which suddenly sent out an invitation to my granddaughters. When I turned around to see where they were, they were both splashing through the water, having a great time. I yelled, Katie, Annie, don't do that. Your mom has you all cleaned and pretty. She doesn't want you to get all messed up. Stay out of that water. I went back to washing my car. They went back to splashing in the water. I repeated my order several times, but to no avail. Each time they would say, okay, grandpa, and then go right back to splashing in the water. As I pause in frustration, he says, to watch them disregard my pleadings, I heard Katie singing as she stomped and splashed through the water. The song was one she memorized from Sunday school. As she was stomping, she was singing, Obedience is the very best way. As she's stomping in that water. He says, I smiled at the paradox so evident to me, but obviously unapparent to the four-year-old. It was a wonderful lesson to me, however, about how frustrated God must be with our lives as adults. And we know all the verses. We've heard all the sermons. We've sung dozens of songs about obedience, but we go right on ignoring what God tells us to do. No doubt the Apostle John was merely expressing the heart of God when he wrote this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And again, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Notice two couplets of blessings that God promises to those who obey him. Letter A, we got to move on. Here we go. I have not a lot of time. No, <laughs> Letter A, two priceless gifts. Let's look at two priceless gifts in verse number two. We got through verse one. We did it. Verse number two. Here we go. Two, don't worry, I'll be done soon. Don't worry, don't worry. Two priceless gifts. It says, grace be unto you and peace. Grace and peace. Two priceless gifts. None of us deserve God's grace. Lamentations 3, it is of the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. In other words, what he's saying is we deserve to be fried to a crisp sometimes. <laughs> That's what we deserve. Oh, but it's because of his mercies. We're not consumed. His compassions, found out verse 23, they are new every morning. Why are they new every morning? Because we used up all the ones that we had the day before. We need new ones every single day. Great is thy faithfulness. We should all echo the words of Paul. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. D.L. Moody said this, the law tells me how crooked I am. Grace comes along and straightens me out. Someone said this, do this and live, the law demands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. A better word God's grace does bring. It bids me fly and gives me wings. Another poem says this, Jesus Christ came to our wall. Jesus Christ died for our fall. So that regardless of death and in spite of sin, through grace, he might put us together 
again. It's because of this first gift of grace we can enjoy the second gift of peace. Without God in our lives, peace is not possible. I like this verse. Peace, peace to him that is far off, and to him that is near, saith the Lord, I will heal him. But the wicked are like the troubled sea, when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith the Lord, my God, to the wicked. Later on, the prophet Isaiah says, The way of peace they know not. There is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. The world can offer a certain amount of pleasure, but it can never offer peace. The world offers pleasure, but it cannot offer peace. Oh, it can't. That only comes from God. John 16, 33, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. Jesus said, but be of good cheer, he says, I've overcome the world. Oh, we have peace through our God. We often think of peace that comes at salvation as a result of forgiveness of sins, and truly that's an overwhelming peace, knowing that every sin that you had ever committed and every sin that you're ever going to commit has been removed from your account. That, that gives wonderful peace, but that's not, that's not where it ends. That's not all that there is. There's more than that. God also gives us sustaining peace that will carry us through every difficulty in life that we face. Peace is that calm of mind that's not ruffled by adversity, overclouded by a remorseful conscience, or disturbed by fear. Psalm 29, the Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Isaiah 26, 3, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Neither grace nor peace can be purchased. You can have all the money in the world. can't purchase grace. You can't purchase peace. Uh, it can't be merited. It can't be earned. They're gifts from God. We see two priceless gifts. Letter B, we see two persons of the Godhead. Two persons of the Godhead. So verse 2 says, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. God is three persons in one. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. These three never contradict one another, but always work together to benefit our lives. John chapter 17 contains a beautiful prayer that the Son prays to the Father. We call it, it's been called often the high priestly prayer of Christ. And this reveals much about the relationship between the Father and the Son, but we are also included in this prayer. Look at John, uh, you can, uh, I'll read it to you. It might be in your notes. John 17, 9, Christ says, I pray for them. Talking about his disciples. That's powerful. Hey, I'm glad when someone else tells me, brother, I'm praying for you. Man, that helps me. Doesn't that help you? Someone says, I prayed for you this week, or I'm praying, well, that helps me. But can you think about God's son praying for you? That's a whole different thing there. Wow. And Jesus Christ says to his father, I pray for them. He's not talking about his disciples. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine. I am glorified in them. I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee. He's saying, Christ was saying, I'm leaving, but they're going to be here. I'm going to come to you, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they be one as we are. I in them and thou in me, they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Can you imagine the conversation in heaven between the Father and the Son when man sinned in the Garden of Eden? Man, this perfect creation made in the image of God, had alienated himself from God and now could no longer enjoy his fellowship. Man was condemned to die because of his sin and spent an eternity separated from his Creator. But this verse is great, 2 Samuel 14, 14. For we must needs die, and are as water spilt on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Neither doth God respect any person, yet doth he devise means that his banished be not expelled from him. 
We are condemned to die. There's nothing we can do about our condition. Uh, But when we die, we are condemned, hopeless and lost. But God in his love devised a means to bring us back into fellowship with him. What was that means? John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How can we have this grace and this peace, the Father and the Son, work together in love to redeem us from our sin and bring us back into fellowship eternally with them? That's how we get grace and peace. I may say this evening, if you're here and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, he offers that grace and that peace to you tonight. And if you would just accept him, you would have so much peace in your heart. You have the grace of God in your life if you would accept his sacrifice for you. Number, so he's, number one, the reminder of church order. Number two, the results of consistent obedience. Number three, and I'm going to blast through this and be done. Number three, the rejoicing in a companionship ongoing. The rejoicing in a companionship ongoing. This is verses three, four, and five. Our earthly relationships are very short-lived. In high school, we often think we've made friends that will last a lifetime. Only to find them dissolved at graduation. I remember being a kid and being, man, we're going to be best friends forever, man. We're going to do everything. And a year later, you've lost their number already. It's, it's just, life just has a way of changing those things. Throughout life, we develop business relationships, neighbor relationships, and friendships. But these, while often a blessing, are likewise cut short by a job change, relocation, death, all those things. In contrast, our relationship with God and his people is eternal. I'm always going to be your brother. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> We're always going to be brother and sister for all of eternity. Uh, that relationship lasts forever. The apostle's heart rejoices as he thinks about his relationship with these believers at Philippi. Let me give this to you and we'll be done. Letter A, a joyful pondering. Look at verse three. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. That's powerful. When people hear your name or think about your life, do they rejoice? Oof. When people think about you, Does it bring joy to their heart or does it bring something else? (laughs) Fill in the blank. Does it bring joy? Well, I hope that. I hope hope when people think about me, it brings joy. I hope that. And and we all ought to work for that. Proverbs 10 7, the memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall rot. Oh, man. Certain names in history rot on the pages due to their wicked lifestyles or ruthless power. Other names bring smiles to our faces. And we can go down the line of precious saints of God who have been in this church. And we bring up their name, and it just brings joy to think about them and their testimony. That's what I want. That's what we want. A good name is better, is better than a precious ointment, the Bible says. Proverbs 22, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. So often we put things before people. We use people and we love things, but it should be opposite. We should love people and use things. Let her be. I'm hurrying. A joyful praying. See a joyful pondering. We see a joyful praying. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. What a privilege to pray for others and do it joyfully. Did you know that even Christ prayed for us before we were even saved? Hebrews 7.25. Don't have time to look at it. It's a great verse. We see joyful pondering, joyful praying. What a blessing it is to pray for other Christians as Paul does here. We're commanded in Galatians 6, bear you one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. How do you bear someone else's burden? You can't always help them physically. You can always help them through prayer. How do you bear someone else's burden when there is nothing that you or even they can do in this situation? Pray. You call on someone who can do something and you help bear that burden for them. The, the preacher says that he, he recalled one time he preached a meeting and, and the invitation, he said, if you'll lift your hand, I'll pray for you. It's the least I can do. And the lady afterward came up to him and through the line and said, Prayer is not the least you can do for me. It's the most you can do for me. 
Oh, how important it is we bear one of those birds in prayer. Let her see. I'm almost done. Uh, a joyful pondering, a joyful praying. You've listened so well. A joyful partnership. It says, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Those of us who are saved, we are all on the same team. We're in this together. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. We're all the same, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Instead of criticizing and fighting with God and his people, we ought to be exercising ourselves to always have a conscious void of offense toward God and toward men. So important that we, we realize we're all on the same team. We have a joyful pondering. I thank my God when I remember you. A joyful praying, making requests with joy, joyful partnership for your fellowship in the gospel. Paul doesn't waste time as he opens this letter with a brief greeting. Much could be accomplished in the work of God if there were proper church order, consistent obedience, and companionship ongoing as we saw today. In what area in my life am I hindering God's work today? I ought to ask God to help me be an asset to my church rather than a liability. Napoleon's toothbrush, once sold for $21,000. Hitler's car, $150,000. Jackie Kennedy's, uh, Jackie Kennedy, Onassis, Onassi, I'm not trying to say that. Uh, fake pearls, sold for $211,500. JFK's wooden golf clubs, $772,500. Obviously, it was not these items that had great value. A toothbrush for 21 grand, obviously. But what gave it value was the fact they belonged to someone who had an impact on the world in a great way. What kind of imprint is my life leaving? What kind of imprint is your life leaving? As we go through life, make some memories, but leave some imprints. And that'll help you find joy. True joy comes from obedience to God. Let me ask you this. I'm done. How's your joy tonight? How's your obedience? Those will match up. I need to fix my obedience before I can expect joy. The greatest joy in life is knowing Christ as Savior. May I say tonight, if you're in this room, you don't know that for sure. You don't know that if, if your life were to end tonight, you don't know that you'd wake up in heaven. Oh, please, after this service is done, come forward. Let me talk to you. If you're a lady, have a lady talk to you. And you can find the greatest joy in life knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Over these next few weeks, we'll talk about the opposition of our joy. What fights our joy? We'll talk about living with your circumstances, learning contentment so much more. I appreciate you being here for our first evening time. Let's pray together.